December 1, I know what you're thinking, right? We all, there's like, there's like the two standard responses that we all have to like December 1st, right? Which is, it's unbelievable. To which I say, is it really unbelievable? Honestly, is it unbelievable? I think it's believable. Okay. And then the other standard response is like, that's crazy. To which I would say, is it really crazy? Because I don't feel as if it's that crazy. If you're two, maybe, and this is like your second one, right? And maybe you kind of missed, maybe you would go like, oh, that was unbelievable. That went so fast. I'm two. And now it's Christmas time again. And it's unbelievable and it's crazy if you're two. But if you're 42 and you've got a lot of history of December always rolling around this time of year, I think the only way that would be unbelievable is if it didn't happen, right? For so I don't know how, what that would mean, but if it didn't happen, then that might be crazy. That might be unbelievable. But really, I mean, so there's a little bit of Christmas cheer for you guys, for me. I know. I was thinking about that on the way over, just going like, why do we always say that? Because it always happens. Anyway, so... This is what is actually crazy for me. So about a month ago, okay, you guys ready for this? About a month ago, like early November, I went into the Department of Motor Vehicles, which I think everybody gets, I don't, I'll, but I'll, I will spell it out for you, right? So I went to the DMV. I had to renew my license. So this is the beginning of November, which, by the way, anybody renew their license recently? I don't know if it was just me, but I had to take my passport down. I thought I was applying for citizenship. I thought my passport, all these different forms of identification, all these questionnaires, all this. I'm like, I'm just going to ride a bike. That's a lot easier at this point. So I go down there to the DMV. First of all, I went all the way out to um, Southtown and I know promptly went. It's not there. It's not there. When did they move it? I don't know. That's unbelievable. That's crazy to me. Okay. Crazy town right there. I drive all the way. And, I, and here's it. I'm on my lunch hour, which is three hours for me, but I call it the lunch hour. I had allotted that time to go to the DMV because what's the one thing about the DMV? It takes forever. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm, here's the deal. I'm anticipating a wait. I'm anticipating that when I walk in that door, hundreds of people will also be there waiting at the DMV. For some reason, um, it takes Forever. So I'm just anticipating that. I'm hoping that in waiting, everybody else leaves so I can get in there quicker, right? Or I'm hoping, I'm like, I, I grab my number, I'm 78, I don't know where we're at. I'm hoping we're in the high 60s at that point, but I'm not sure. They start calling numbers, so I'm waiting, I'm anticipating that maybe people will get bored and leave, or they got to get back to work. I'm hoping, honestly, that number 77 is in the bathroom when they call them, so that I can just scoot right in front of them, right? So, are you guys ready for this? 25 minutes in and out. Unbelievable. I know. I was done. What's new picture? That's filling out all the forms. It was incredible. And then my license shows up, right? And it's that, yeah. Really? That's, that's not, that's actually not, I did some editing there. So, which that might be a federal offense. I don't know if Homeland Security is going to come look for me, but that's actually, it looks way worse than that. So. I took a bunch of pictures and then I went to Renee, our receptionist. I said, which one looks worse? She spent about an hour just waiting over. Which one? Which one looks worse? Okay, you can pull that down. Um, man, we did. Tom's never running PowerPoint again. <laughs> we get it, though. right? We, we understand waiting. And we understand anticipation. And we understand, like, a sense of hope, don't we? And I think that we bring... 
that same dynamic of waiting and anticipating and hoping to this time of year, to to Christmas. And and I think it was there at the very first Christmas. And, And you may know this, or this may be new information for you, but for every generation, for generation after generation, in the history of the nation of Israel, there was always a remnant of Jewish people who were waiting. They waited every single day for the arrival of Messiah. And in every single generation, there was always a group of people that lived their lives every day, every single day in obedience to God's commands. And they were waiting and they were anticipating and and they were hoping that, that maybe today, or maybe that at this month, or maybe really, really soon, the Messiah would arrive. And this went on for generation after generation, and nothing happened. 99.99% of those people who were waiting and waiting and hoping and anticipating the Messiah, they died. And there was no fulfillment of that promise. And yet there was always a group of people that just kept praying. They kept waiting, they kept anticipating, they kept hoping, and they remained faithful. And while most other people just kind of peeled off into other things, they had abandoned their faith. Maybe they just thought, well, this whole thing was maybe just a fairy tale. It was a good story to tell our kids. But how could we devote our lives to just a story or a fairy tale that was based on a promise thousands of years old? There was always a group. That got up and lived their lives waiting, anticipating and hoping that today, today could be the day that Messiah shows up. Let's pray. We're going, God, we thank you for today. And Father, I just pray that your word would come to life in us, that we would hear it and that we would experience it and that your living word would take up residence in us and change us and transform us. And God, I pray that as we look to the story of Luke and, and his Jesus story, God, that we would immerse ourselves in it and we would see how, how we're a part of this story. God, we thank you for the invitation that you give us. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we kind of kick off the Christmas season... Um, and, and we're going to be kind of, kind of going through the, the Jesus story, the, the birth story, primarily in Luke. Um, and this title to this sermon, we're super clever here. They were asking, like, what's the title of this sermon? And, and we were like, hmm, you know, just try to, Christmas part one. And so today is Christmas part one. That's how clever Josh and I, we put our collective brains together and we came up with Christmas he came up with Christmas, I came up with part, and then we came together on one. So it's Christmas part one. But we're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter one, and we're going to be starting it off in, in verse five. If you know the gospel of Luke, Luke is writing this. He's, he's writing an orderly account. So Luke is a very detailed oriented person, and he's writing this. He's, he's, uh, he's, somebody's paying him to, to put this together. He's out interviewing people that, that saw this with their own eyes. So he's talking to eyewitnesses. So that's how his account came together. So it's very detailed. It's very, um, he's very much, you know, taking into account what people are saying about this. So Luke chapter one, verse five is when, where we're going to be. But here, before we go, like, I think a question is why? Like, what is this relevant for us? Why is this relevant for us? Because I think, um, it is. And I think it's relevant to us today because I think at some point in your life, if you haven't already had this happen, you will. A lot of you, it'll, it'll probably happen, you know, more than once. 
But at some point in our Christian experience, God's going to be so quiet. He's going to be so seemingly inactive, so unbelievably silent. And you're going to be waiting, anticipating, and hoping. And I want us to think about two questions today. I want us to think about, what does God do while we're waiting? It's a good question. While we're waiting, what is God doing? And then what are we supposed to do while we're waiting for God to do whatever he's doing? So what is God doing while we're waiting? And what are we supposed to do while we're waiting? Because there's going to be times in our lives when when we're going to look around and we're going to ask, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? And, And when are you going to do it? And, and then we're going to ask, God, I'm waiting. I, I, I believe, I think that you're going to show up, but I don't know. I mean, I've been waiting for so long, so I have to ask myself right now, why do I keep showing up? Right? Why, why do I keep showing up? Why am I attending? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I believing this? Why am I obeying this, God? I mean, I feel like I, I might be missing out. I mean, I'll, I'll keep showing up, but, but, but I want to know why. Why am I continuing day after day to live my life as if there's something bigger than me? As if there's something to the Bible? As if somehow, God, you're going to show up and, and, and what are you doing and, and when are you going to do it, God? Am I just following this thing because my parents, you know, kind of brought me up and then now 40 years later I'm, I'm just here? Or is it just, is it my fear that, I, that if, I, if I don't show up to church, if I walk away, like if, if I abandon my walk with God or that somehow it's not going to go well for me? Is this more of a superstition thing or is this something that I really believe and own and, and, and live in? And at some point in our lives and, and maybe several times, there's going to be moments and seasons in our lives. There's periods of our life that in a, our attempt to be good, you know, faithful Christian people, we're going to look around and say, I kind of want to know what I'm getting out of this. I kind of want to know what's in it for me. I mean, am I waiting? I feel like I've been waiting a long time. And we just want to know, like, God, where is this going? Have you ever thought that question? Have you ever been in that moment where you're just like, I'm waiting? And I just want to know where this, maybe you're in it right now. And, and if that's the case, believe it or not, the Christmas story is, is for you. In fact, the Christmas story, especially around the two characters that we're going to look at today, in some way is your story. And, and in some way is my story. Here, here's how it begins. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. And let me just pause. Let me just time out right there and say this. When you read the Bible, I hope that you're just as annoying, if not more annoying, than the kid from The Princess Bride. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Which, by the way, is a complete side note. That is my wife's least favorite movie, The Princess Bride. Her least, I know, shocking. Her favorite, this is how cool my wife is. Her favorite movie, The Godfather. She loves movies about... <laughs> mobsters and yeah i know should i be worried i don't know i think family's safe when you're in mafia movie kind of thing but that's her favorite which means i never have to watch the princess bride which i'm okay with i know it's horrible somehow the princess bride became like the most acceptable christian movie to watch but anyway so her least favorite movie anyways let's get back on track so you read the bible right and i think you should be like kevin arnold and he's just asking colombo over and over again every five seconds like what's happening in the story grandpa i think it's his grandpa right just stopping and asking all those questions and that's how we should be when we read the bible we should stop and we should pause and we should ask some questions because stopping to pause and ask some questions allows you to kind of i think it immerses you in the story more it kind of puts you 
in the story. It's going to add insight. It's going to add some incredible insight. It's, it's like just like it's so easy for us to kind of zoom past this point in the story. Like we want to get to the Jesus stuff. We want to get to our favorite verse here. And so we never stop and ask those kind of questions. But understanding the political and the cultural environment that, that these events unfold in, it adds so much depth to the way that we relate to, to this story. So we have to stop and we have to kind of pause and we have to wrap our minds around. Why does Luke tell us who was king? What does it matter? Let's just get to the Jesus stuff. Like Luke is doing more here than kind of establishing a historical timeline for us. Okay. For his original readers, when they would have read that, like that intro right there, what he wants to do is he wants to evoke some real specific emotions. So for the first century readers, and really hopefully for us, when they read in the days of King Herod, a chill would have ran down their spines. Because this guy was a monster. This guy was horrible. His rise to power was violent and bloody. He murdered his brother-in-laws, his, his wife Miriam he killed, his own, his own mom he killed. And in his deathbed, he ordered the execution of some of the most prominent citizens in Israel. He said, when I die, as soon as I die, the minute I die, kill all of them. Because I want, some, I want people to remember this. Okay? And then finally, he ordered the murder of all the firstborn sons in Bethlehem. So, so that's that guy. This is that guy right here. And at this, this is the point in history. Right? This is what's happening in this nation. This is who their king is. And this is the moment in history that God decides to unfold his eternal plan for redemption. So it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Remember this, Zechariah's name means God remembers. That's important. So he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So what that means is Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they were both in the line of Israel's priesthood. So they'd come from this long line of religious scholars and religious leaders. Basically, they were pastor's kids, okay? And Luke says about them, says both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So it says that they were both of them, both of them, they were righteous in the sight of God, which meant basically in this context that Luke believed that when God looked at these two people that we're looking at today, he said, they're doing it right. Okay, they got it right. They're doing all the right things. I mean, look at the way that they live. They're doing everything right. They're observing all of the Lord's commands. And if you've read the Old Testament, right, that that's a lot how many of you have read all of the Lord's commands or how many of you just skip it? Right? We skip it. That's a lot. They're observing all of the Lord's commands. And it says that they were doing this blamelessly, which means you could hire Magnum P.I. And, and he could investigate them. And there's no dirt to dig up. Okay? There's no skeletons in the closet. There would be nothing to find out here. They're blameless in the way that they're approaching their relationship with God. And here's what's amazing. They were doing what they were doing as, as priests and, and as followers of God and blameless based on a promise that was given a couple thousand years earlier. Okay, so and, and, then, and then on top of that, in the last few hundred years, God had been silent. You wrap up the Old Testament with Malachi. That's kind of his last kind of revealed prophecy. He promises Messiah at the end of Malachi. And then for about 400 years, nothing. He's silent right so 
you've got a couple here that's saying, no, we're going to continue to be faithful, and our faith is going to be based on a promise delivered a couple thousand years earlier, even though God has not said or spoken anything in the past 400 years. And they're living their lives as if God is actually going to keep that promise, that he's going to remember that promise, that he's actually going to fulfill his vow. And again, there's no evidence that God's going to do any of that. And yet they're blameless. So we're going to peek into their lives. We're going to peer into their lives. So Zachariah, Elizabeth, all this blameless, like you're such good, upright people, like you have to ask this question then, well, how's that working out for you guys? Right? You're observing all of the Lord's commands. You're righteous in his sight. You're blameless before him. How's that? That's got to be. That's got to be going good for you. You're doing all the right things. So how's that working out for you? Look at the next verse. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. What? They're blameless. They're doing, they're doing everything right. And yet their heart's desire. She's childless. That's great. Like you're, you're getting up day after day. You're, you're waiting for the Messiah. You're hoping you're serving in the temple. You're being good people. And, and maybe you feel like you're missing out on opportunities, but you're going to remain faithful. And, and this God that you're so faithful to, he leaves you without an heir. And, and in this culture, this is important. And this is at least how they perceived it. It was always the woman's fault, right? It was always the woman's fault. In this culture, women always got the blame, never the men. Like there's this pre-science, pre-medicine. There's no way to prove it's not like Zachariah is hanging out at the golf club with his buddies and they're giving him a bad time about his boys being slow swimmers, right? None of that. Nobody knows it's always the woman's fault, right? So all they know is that the woman couldn't get pregnant. And, and as important as that is in our culture for, for women to have a baby, and, and I don't mean this to be offensive, okay? We're not talking our culture here. We're talking their culture. In this culture, the way that they saw it, that's about all that a woman was good for, right? They had no political standing. They, they couldn't have a job. They, they were den- always denied education. And so for her to, to be childless is a big deal. And not only that, there was this religious stigma that, that God granted children to, to, to the good women, the women that he wanted to, and God decided who would have kids and who wouldn't. God decided which babies would live and which babies would die. And for a woman not to get pregnant, there was this sense that God wanted to curse her for some reason. She must be doing something wrong, which the story doesn't even jive. We're hearing she's good, she's blameless, she's upright. And yet at the same time, at least how her culture would have perceived her, she's not. She's doing something wrong. So Elizabeth, this righteous woman who lived this blameless life before God throughout her young years, throughout her middle years, even her latter years, this wasn't, this wasn't going to happen for her. In fact, listen to how this statement ends. It says, and they were both very old. All right? For those of us that are very old, we get that. We understand what that means. It was over. All right? it, was, it was too late. God had done nothing for them lately. And if you look later in their story, I mean, they prayed. They were praying, and they had been praying the desperate prayers that every couple prays when they just want to have a child. And God said no. And Elizabeth lived with that shame and that pain. It says later, it says it was a disgrace for her. So she lived with that pain, that shame, that disgrace, all the way into her old age. And here's what's so crazy about this. 
They're sticking with us. They're sticking with God. They're, they're staying faithful to God. They're serving Him. They're observing all the commands. They're, they're living this blameless existence before God. And they're doing all of that based on a promise that was made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. And not 2,000 years earlier from today, but 2,000 years earlier from when they lived. So 2,000 years previously, God had appeared to Abraham, and here's what God had said to Abraham. He said to Abraham, you might recognize this, this is from Genesis, he said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so you've got you to track with this here. So let's just kind of walk through this. Did God make Israel a great nation? Yes. Okay. So check that happened. Okay. Did God make Abraham's name great? How many of you have heard Abraham's name when you walked in here? You've at least heard his name. Raise your hand if you've heard Abraham's name. Okay. Now, how many of you have sung a song about Abraham with motions? How many of you have sung a song about Abraham with motions in Mexico? All right. There we go. So, so we get it. We know his name. You walk in there, you've heard that name before. So we're, we're two for two. Okay. So here's where it starts to break down. You will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. Okay. That happened for a while and it happened off and on, but it kind of gets a little bit fuzzier here. I will curse those who curse you. And we're like, we're still trying to figure that one out. But then we get to this and all people on earth will be blessed through you. You being Abraham, all the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. And so this is kind of the root idea of why the Jews believed that there was going to be something more for their country, for their nation, for Israel. This is why they're waiting. This is why they're anticipating. This is what they're hoping for still after all those years. Because if you know the story, after God delivered on his promise to Abraham, he had a son who had a son who had a son. And finally they became this nation and they fled Egypt and they moved back to the land that God had promised them. And then they became a kingdom and things really took off for them from there. And, the, and it looked maybe like during, during the age of this kingdom that, that maybe God was going to deliver that promise, that he was going to bless all the people on the earth through the lineage of Abraham at that time. Maybe this was how the promise was going to be fulfilled that he made to Abraham. There was David and there was the golden age of Israel through Solomon and, and, and things were like absolutely incredible during this time. And, and if ever there was a time that God was going to leverage the nation of Israel to bless all the people of the earth, it was going to be through the time of Solomon because after that, everything falls apart. Okay? The nation splits, there's wars, there were good kings, there were bad kings. Between the time of Solomon and the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the leadership and, and the rule of Israel flip-flopped like over 25 times. The Syrians took them over, the Babylonians took them over, the Greeks took them over, the Persians took them over, the Romans took them over. And, and after years of this, right, you can imagine, I mean, they had no clout in international affairs. They, they didn't even have an army half the time. Okay, so they were exiled for 70 years at that point. Does this sound like a nation who was poised to be a blessing to everybody else on the face of the earth? No way. They were just becoming less and less of a factor and influence in world events. So the idea that somehow God was going to use them, going to bless everybody through this nation of Israel. I mean, they no longer had any leverage. They no longer had any wealth. They no longer had even any say over their own future at this point. They're a conquered, defeated nation. So, so not only was this not going to happen... It, it couldn't happen. And, and then finally, just to add insult to injury, if you know your history, in 65 BC, Pompey the Great 
uh, the great Roman general. He marched into Jerusalem. He took over the city. He occupied the city. He pushed past the, the temple guards. He went right into the temple, past the priests. He marched right into the Holy of Holies, which is the place that the Jews believed was sacred. It's the place that God actually lived and dwelt amongst them, the place that only the high priests could go in only once a year and serve before God. It was a big deal to go in there. The place that the Jews believed that if you went in unannounced and uninvited, God would strike you dead on the spot. And the priests, they freak out as Pompey walked straight into the Holy of Holies. He, he walks in. He looks around. He walked back out. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. And the word spread throughout Jerusalem. And the implications were clear. Jupiter, the God of Romans, of the Romans, he, he must be more powerful than Yahweh, the God of of the Israelites because because Pompey just walked straight in and, and nothing happened. And Zechariah was probably just a little boy when that happened. And no doubt his father, just like Elizabeth's father, who was a priest, no doubt they remember that day when their fathers came home. They tore their robes and they mourned because the temple had been desecrated in the presence of this Roman general who had ignored all of their customs, all of their traditions, all of their warnings and walked into the Holy of Holies and then walked out and God did nothing. And yet that little boy with this in his background, he went into the priesthood and he served God blamelessly his whole life. He married Elizabeth who served God her whole life. And they remembered this story and they remembered the emotion of, of why doesn't God act on our behalf? And why, why doesn't God act on the behalf of the nation of Israel? And, and what about the promise of Abraham? God, what are you doing? And God, when are you going to do it? And, and how in the world can this tiny, conquered little nation ever rise again to impact the world, to be a blessing to all the people on the face of the earth? I mean, we're just hanging on by the thinnest of threads just merely to exist. And, and so many Jews during that time, they turned away from temple worship. They, they turned away from belief in their God. They became integrated into Greek and Roman life and, and culture. And it, and it felt at this time that it was just... It was just kind of over, but not for everybody, not for everybody, not for Zachariah, not for Elizabeth. And, and if you had come to them at that time and said, guys, what are you, what are you doing? Right? It's over. Like, it's a myth. It's a fairy tale. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. You're living your life on a promise that's never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, part of Abraham's promise came true. Like there is a nation. And, and yeah, people know his name. But Israel will never rise up again and be a player in world events. Nothing is ever going to come from this dusty, insignificant little part of the Roman Empire that's going to impact the entire world. So guys, just give it up. You can have a better life. You're just holding on to something that's not... So just walk away. I mean, you deserve it. Enjoy the few remaining years of your life. Because God, I mean, even if there is a God, it's abandoned you. I mean, look at your story. You're... You're, you're just faultless. You're blameless before him. And, and if we would have whispered that in their ears during their golden days, I mean, we couldn't have been more wrong, could we? Because the reason Luke begins this story with their story is because this was the beginning of something brand new. This was amazing. That, that would ultimately find its conclusion in God's promise to Abraham. And the reason that this story is so important to you, and the reason it's so important to me, is because, as I said earlier, I mean, there are moments and there are seasons of our lives and our relationship where we wonder, 
God, what are you doing? God, when are you going to do it? God, are you listening? God, are you going to act? God, do, do, you, do you care? And on Christmas, the answer is a resounding yes. So here's how the story goes on. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So here's what you need to know real quick. Um, there's like 24 divisions of priests, and they all had like hundreds of priests that served in those divisions. So they would cast lots once a year to decide who would go in and burn incense in the temple. And they believed that God was involved with this. I mean, essentially, they're gambling to see who got the turn to, to go do this amazing honor as a priest. Um, but they believed that God would kind of choose that person through the casting of lots. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest, okay? You would, if you got the chance to do it at all, you would, it would only happen once in your life. It was the defining moment of your career. It was the apex of your career as a priest. It wouldn't get any bigger. It wouldn't get any brighter. It wouldn't get any better. And so for, for, for Zachariah, this was it, a defining moment for him. He'd been waiting for this moment in his career, his whole life. Everything was going according to his plan at this point for him. And, and he, goes, he goes right to the place outside of the curtain that divides the outer temple from the Holy of Holies. He stands right outside of the Holy of Holies where, where God dwells. Everybody else leaves the temple and he burns this incense to God. And it was this very sacred occasion and, and an honor to be chosen. So it says, when the time for burning the incense of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were outside praying. So basically, everybody else is outside praying. Hopefully, they're praying for Messiah. That's hopefully what they're praying. God, would you, would you, would you remember your promise to us? Would you keep your covenant to us? And they're outside praying. And then Zechariah is inside burning this incense, which is the symbolism of like their prayers that are they're going up to God. Okay, so everyone is outside praying and he's in there all by himself. And it says, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's just in there. Right. And there's like this moment, like good detail. Look at the the detail that Luke gives. He's standing to the right side of the altar of incense. So and and, and there's this moment that Zachariah, he's been waiting for his whole career, once in a lifetime opportunity, defining moment of his career, what everything had been kind of building for, you know, for him as a priest to kind of go do this thing. And it was like make it or break it kind of time is what he'd been planning on. He's trying to be faithful. And then this angel shows up, which is really like saying like God's going to come speak and, and God's going to show up and God shows up and throws him this curveball. So let me ask you a question. What is your response when God shows up and hijacks the little story of you and reminds you that you're just a supporting character in the big story of him? I mean, you have plans. We all have plans, right? And even if, 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 if you're not doing exactly what you planned on today, you probably adjusted your plans. So really in the end, it's still your plan. So how does it make you feel like the psalmist says in Psalm 115 that we have a God who does whatever pleases him? Is that okay with you? Do you wrestle with that a little bit? I mean, we're very comfortable with a God that does whatever pleases us, aren't we? Like, that's how we want our God. God, do whatever pleases us. But we have a God who does whatever pleases him. And he'll hijack your story. And he'll say, no, it's about me. Right? It's about my glory. Like, I'm inviting you into my story, and you can be a part of it, but it's always been about me. 
Zachariah's like, this is the defining moment of my career. This is going to be huge for me. And God shows up. It's really not about you. It's not about your plans. Because God's saying, because I, I run this. Like, I got this. God's saying, I'm in charge. He's saying, that's how I roll. I, I do whatever pleases me. And, and he just hijacks the most important moment of Zachariah's career, maybe even his life. He says, I've actually got something else planned for this moment. I've actually got something else planned for you right now. Because I run things. They don't run me. And I'll do whatever I please. So it says, when Zacharias saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. And then check this out. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. That's like the standard angel response. Right? That's what they always say. Right? Right? If you've read the Old Testament, if you read the New Testament, you know the angels, they just always open up. When they appear, they're like, just don't be afraid. Right? And, and they've got to get that out just like right up front. And there's a reason the angels have to start that conversation that way. Because they're not precious moments. They're terrifying. They're freaky. They scare. Every story, when they show up, people are freaked out when they show up. That's one of your people say, when I, like, people are like, oh, like, this angel appeared to me and it was so peaceful. I'm like, I, I, don't, I doubt it. That's not what happens in the Bible. When, when, angel, when Bible angels show up, everybody falls on their face. They freak out. Like, they're, like everybody's just like, these people, these angels, are, they're scary. They're scary even when they're not trying to be scary, okay? They're just scary. And so it's, it's like people all the time, like, you know, I, you, you probably say this. You've probably heard people say, like, oh, man, I, wish, I just wish God would speak to me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. That that's what I, I mean, I read the Bible, and it's terrifying when that happens. Even, even when God turns it down to, like, one it's still scary because God is God. And so this angel appears and he's got good news and still Zachariah's like scared. And, and, and he's a good man. I mean, think about it. He's a good man. Think about if God showed up and an angel showed up to you. Like Zachariah is a good man. He's, he's blameless. He shows up in your life. I don't know. Imagine if it was us, right? And so he hears what the angel says. It says, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. I don't know about you guys because you pray. My guess is you pray. And I don't know about you, but but wouldn't it be enough? Like when you're in those moments of waiting and, and anticipating and, and, and you're hoping and you're longing and you're asking those questions, God, God what are you doing? God, when are you going to do it? Wouldn't it be enough just to hear, I've heard your prayer. I don't even need an answer. Right? I just, it's just enough to go like, I've heard your prayer. No, we've heard it. I'm God, I'll answer it. I'll do whatever pleases me. But sometimes isn't it just enough to go, yeah, he hears. That's why it's so important for us. When we're, when we're praying, God, what are you doing? He's, he's listening. He hears. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. And John's going to be a famous John, right? We get this. You understand, I don't know if you understand the story. He's going to be John the what? Mm, he's not a Baptist. He's John the baptizer. It's John the baptizer. He's not, yeah, he's not Baptist. Let's get that right. Okay. So John the baptizer. So, and it says, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. The story continues. It says this. It says, he will bring, this is what John's going to do. John's going to bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why? Why is he going to do that? Why does he need to do that? Why would John have to bring them back to God? Because while they were waiting, while they were anticipating, while they were hoping, so many of them 
had ran off, had abandoned God. And in their minds, I mean, they had good reason to do so. Because from what they could see, God had not done anything for Israel for hundreds of years. It's over. It's a myth. It was fun while it lasted. It's a good story to tell our kids. But the God of Israel had long abandoned us. It goes on to say, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's a fulfillment of of Malachi, if you go back to three and four. And then look at this. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? To which Gabriel's like, I'm an angel. I am standing in front of you. What do you, what do you mean? Like, what, is, what more is there to ask? There's an a- terrifying angel in front of you. Like, what more do you need at this point? So he asks, how can I be sure of this? And he says, I'm an old man and my wife is... And then he stopped for a second. He's like, my wife is... I'm an, I'm an old man. My wife is... She's um, vintage. No, she's antique. She's, my wife is older. And he's like, he's got he's to be pretty diplomatic here in like his response, right? He's like, oh, she's, she's well along in years. That's pretty good, right? I'm old and she's, she's well along in years. So, so what he's saying to the angel is, hey, I get it. Like, I'm glad that God heard me, but I think it's a little late because like, we're old. Like, we've been, we, we prayed through our 20s and nothing, right? We, we prayed through our 30s. Like, we even gave it a shot when we were 40. I'm talking about praying there. We gave, gave praying a shot when we were 40. But I'm old now. And my wife, she's, she's old too. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true. And then this is my favorite part of the story. Let's just, this is, if you have your Bibles open, you kind of say this together it says because you do not believe believe my words which will come true at their appointed time these words are going to come true at their appointed time which is wait 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 like time out i've got some questions here from zachariah i'm thinking we you mean god had this day marked in his calendar you mean like all these hundreds of years of silence and i mean since the days of moses and David and, and Abraham and God has waited this long on purpose? Gabriel's like, mm-hmm. You mean God like, has watched his people walk out and abandon him in droves because it was like no way that the nation of Israel would bless the world? Yep. Zachariah's like, God, God has been planning this all along? There, there was an appointed time? Yeah, because he's God. And he does whatever pleases him. You mean God had not quit paying attention, but he's not only heard my prayers, but he's heard the prayers of of his people for generations? Yeah. I mean, even though he's been so quiet, he's actually not been inactive. He he hasn't lost interest. Yeah. It goes on and says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized... He had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. The Lord has done this for me, he said. In those days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And here's the amazing thing. This story, 
that we just read, this story is, it's, it's like, like the previews. It's just the opening act. It's just a preview to the main event. It's just like the little conversation before the big conversation starts. It's evidence that God is gearing up to do what he has planned to do all along. Planning to do what that, that, that he has planned, that, that he would remain faithful, you know, to, to generation after generation. The people who have, have died and they've never seen the fulfillment of this promise. They've, they've passed on this hope to their kids. They've passed on to them the hope of Messiah, that Messiah will come. They've passed on to them the hope that, that God may be silent right now. But he's still active and he's still working and he'll do things in his appointed time. That God is a God who remembers. That God is a God who keeps his promises. And in every generation of Jewish history, there was always a remnant of people who just, they believed. They believed in this promise. They had this hope. They were waiting. They were anticipating. They were hoping. And finally, the day would come that God would put into action what he had planned to do since he made that promise to Abraham that every nation will be a blessing through this nation. And, and here's how the story concludes with the beginning of the next story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Josh will pick that up next week. So in so many ways, I mean, this is our story, isn't it? Maybe the most important question to ask and answer is this. What does God do while we're waiting? He's just being God. Nothing. He's just being God. He's going to do whatever pleases him. I hope you're okay with that. I mean, it's uncomfortable for us. So what's God doing while we're waiting? He's He's just being God, right? He remembers. He keeps his promises. So what do we do while we're waiting, anticipating and hoping? Do we stay or do we go? Do we believe or do we stop believing? Do we settle for the little story of us or do we get swept up into the big story of God? And my hope and my prayer and my encouragement for you today is to know that we serve a God that does whatever he pleases him, but he's a God who remembers. He's a God who keeps his promises. He's a God who's jealous for his own glory and he does everything at his appointed time. And Christmas is a reminder that our longing and our waiting and our praying is not in vain. So as I invite the worship team up, we're going to celebrate together. Jesus was sitting down with some of his closest friends for a meal. It was very casual. He had some bread. He had a cup of wine. And he said, hey, when, whenever you do this again, the, the very next time that you do this, which is just simply like eating some bread and drinking some wine, would you remember me? I mean, I remembered you. Like I'm a fulfillment of a God who remembers. What's Zachariah's name? God remembers. I'm a fulfillment of a God who remembers. So when you get together, when you have a piece of bread and, and, and a glass of wine, would you simply remember what I'm about to go do? Would you celebrate that I'm a fulfillment, that I'm Messiah, I'm a fulfillment of a promise made thousands of years earlier? And so as we go to the tables today, would we just celebrate that we have a God who remembers, who keeps his promises. So here's how we do this here. Um, we're going to have some worship. And, and what, we, what we want to do when we worship is we're going to sing. And we're going to invite you guys, when you feel led, 
um, during the first two songs to get up and, and go to the tables. There's tables all around the room here and grab those elements. You can take communion up there if you want to. You can go back to your seats with your family, but just celebrate and remember Jesus. Don't get caught up in how we're doing it or whatever. Just just do what Jesus asked very simply and very casually. So just remember me. Remember what I'm about to go do. I'm about to give my life for you. I'm about to bleed for you. I'm a fulfillment of a God who remembers and keeps his promises. You're also, um, if, you, if you desire, you can worship through giving up here. Um, so we want you guys to enter into this time of, of worship and singing and offering back to God what's, what's already his. There's so much joy in giving back to God what's already his. So let me pray and we'll worship. Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you, God, that you are so good. God, we thank you that you're a God that remembers, that you're a God that keeps his promises. God, I pray that we would see ourselves in this story. We would see that you've invited us to be a part of your story, that you've redeemed us, that you've called us now to be a people. As we learned in Ephesians, there's, there's no difference, there's no barrier, there's no dividing wall of hostility anymore between Jews and Gentiles. God, we're a new people. We're your church, and we are to be. We are a fulfillment of that purpose as we bless people, as we are a blessing to people on this earth, as, as we tell them about the ministry of reconciliation, the redemption that's available in Jesus. God, I pray that we would just worship you in truth. In your name we pray. Amen.